0: Welcome to Bet Parks Presents. Stick to Hockey Live. It's a Monday edition. Hope everybody had a great weekend. Had a fantastic weekend. It's beautiful fall weather. It's hockey weather. We had a hockey game on Saturday. Oh. It was good to be back at the barn, I will tell you that. And we'll get to the game, the updated injury news, including a report from Renault Lavoie from Tevias Sports in Montreal on Sean Couturier, the latest on Ryan Ellis. We'll get to the game, some of the recent injury news as well. Guys day-to-day, Hart, Atkinson, and Arteman Nisimov. We'll get to the goalies in the performance in that preseason game, torts camp, and much more with uh, Anthony DeMarco in just a moment. Let me tell you about Bet Parks, because Bet-P-P- this is the time of year. Come on. I mean, you've been waiting for this. How about Bet Parks and the Casino and Sportsbook app? It's the best in the business. And why is it a great time? Because... You've got football galore. You've got college and pro. You've got games, tons of games to wager on. Player performances, same game parlays, live in-game betting, alternate lines, player performances, first to score, exact score, quarters, halves, you name it. It's all there. And easy to find and easy to navigate. Come on, check it out. Easy to sign up, faster to win than ever before. Football's not it, though. How about the remainder of the baseball season, right into the playoffs, which is always fun. And again, player performances, same-game parlays, live-in-game betting, all kinds of different ways to get your action in. So much fun. You've also got the remainder of the golf season. You've got some tennis. You've got some Formula One coming back this week in Singapore. You've got right around the corner, hoops. Get in on the BetParks app. You're not going to regret it. Right now, all Bet Parks users get a risk free bet up to $750 by using the promo code Jason750. Again, J A S O N 750. That'll get you a risk free bet up to $750. New and existing users, terms and conditions to apply. To do yourself a favor, download the Bet Parks app today. You do need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem, call 1 800 Gambler. Also, how about for the new season? And starting next week, we'll talk about this with Anthony DeMarco in a minute. We're going to three days a week, and it's going to be in every week. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be a great hockey season. We've expanded the coverage of that uh, Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. And one of my old friends and sponsors is along for the ride. How about Conquerville? Conquerville, Subaru. I've been with Conquerville for years, years and years and years. And I'm back with them again, and it's awesome. Go to Conquerville Subaru, their beautiful showroom on Route 202 in Glen Mills. It's fantastic. I bought my first car at Conquerville back in 1989. <laughs> yeah, I'm 50. Many since. And yeah, why have I done that? Because it is Conquerville Cares. Trust. I've been going there for a long time. Yeah, My, my, my son, Evan, said when he was eight that I'm going to get my first car at Conquerville uh, when I turn 16. He was eight years old at the time. He's about to turn 16. It's not just saying, it's a fact. that The work they do in the community for years, and they continue to do, it's unparalleled. Conquerville, first Subaru Nation Love Promise Dealer of the Year. That was back in 2015. They also have eight years of supporting Nemours Children's Hospital of Delaware. They've adopted 15 classrooms to the Marcus Hook Elementary School this year again, giving teachers $500 of classroom supplies each. Plus, they continue with the donation of thousands of coats to La Comunidad Hispania in Kennett Square. Over the last 10 years, they continue to do that as well. Uh, so now's a great time to visit that beautiful showroom on Route 202 in Glen Mills and check out the certified pre-owned inventory or pick from a list of the incoming Subaru vehicles. Great vehicles. Conquerville Subaru, more than just a dealership, they also have an award-winning service department and you get a free car wash with every service. So visit ConquervilleSubaru.com online and check out the showroom again on Route 202 in Glen Mills. And remember, Conkerville cares. It's not just a saying, it is a reality. Let's get to him right now. Lots to discuss on this edition of Stick to Hockey Live. We bring him in from Montreal, and hopefully Hurricane Fiona is not wreaking any havoc there. I don't know that it is. Maybe a little fringe effect. There he is, Anthony DeMarco. And
1: uh, is Fiona uh, touching base in Montreal at all? No, not really. Luckily, it hit hard in Atlantic Canada, like Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, New Brunswick. They got the houses right
0: into the water, man.
1: That's oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. In, uh I think it was Newfoundland right near the uh right near the water, the, the waterfront. Just absolutely. just wash houses away. P- pretty serious. But I mean, I mean, we're usually lucky here in Montreal, but, you know, like the Maritimes aren't that that far away from us. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it is pretty sad. And, you know, they deployed the armed forces <laughs> there to help out. So, you know, thoughts and prayers to everyone in Atlantic Canada right now.
0: Yeah. Everybody up there. We have listeners up there as I see uh, oftentimes on uh, the heat map of where all the downloads are coming from Stick to Hockey Live and uh, best to all those people and hope you're safe up there as well. Appreciate Uh, it. uh, we got a ton to discuss, but where I want to start at is actually in your backyard because a reporter in your backyard, Renaud Lavoie from TVI Sports, Renault is a very credible guy. People, I know Chris, my buddy, uh, tweeted back to me last night and said, "How is he not verified?
1: how is Renault not verified? <laughs> it's crazy." You know, you know, TVA Sport, well, like they have the 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 international well, international the national broadcasting rights here in uh, in Canada among the French media. You know, Rogers has it English, and TVA has it for uh, the French side. And Renault has really kind of exploded onto the scene, not just in the French media but English media as well. He's doing a really, really good job. I wouldn't be surprised if someone picks him up, you know, if Rogers were to pick him up or if one of the American companies do, because like, obviously you, you can really like, you know, bypass just the Quebec market very, very fast here. And I think he's doing that. And um, the fact that he's not verified is crazy to me. And that's why it took me a few times to actually make sure that it was real. But, you know, he's a guy that's very well plugged in. And I mean, the Flyers have historically had some French players and French executives and French coaches working uh, within the team and on the team. So it's not uh, far fetched to, you know, believe that he has some good sources within the organization. And he said it could be as early as three to four weeks. I mean, I don't think that's concrete by any stretch, but it is a far cry from what... uh, uh, ASF uh, had said uh, a week ago. So, I mean, there's a lot of varying timelines here, and I, I think what it comes down to is that as far as anything concrete, nobody really knows. Mm-hmm. And it could be as early as three weeks, or it could be as long as the whole season, but it really just seems that nobody can say one way or another for sure. Yeah, I mean, it felt
0: like the initial reports like like a two by four to the forehead when you walk around the the door jam. Right. Yeah. and Oh, my God. You got to be kidding me. Like that's the worst fear after a back surgery is another one. And, you know, then you have the degenerative questions. Renaud's report reads as follows. And it was uh, 16 hours ago when he put it Mm -hmm. out. He said, hearing some positives on Sean Couturier's injury, he could be back in the next three to four weeks if everything goes according to plan. Back injuries are tricky. And let's hope He won't be out long. So hopefully, as I tweeted out, when I quote tweeted, just saying, hopefully this is the beginning of some good news regarding Couturier. And I think there was just, you know, there was some discomfort there. Uh, From what I understand, it did not happen during a rehab session or workout. It was actually probably happened the day before and he woke up with the discomfort and. You know, they're trying to figure out what the level of that is. Is it a herniated disc? Is it a bulging disc? There's a difference there because a bulge is like the nerve gets inflamed. And there's some things you can do about that. It's tricky for sure. And it's tricky to go back to playing hockey when you're dealing with that as well to keep inflammation under control. You can get facet injections, steroids, basically injections to calm that down. But it is something that's difficult to deal with. A hockey player is using... The core of their body. It looks like it's all arms and legs, but it is all core because it all okay. emanates from the core, the hips, and all of that, and the back, obviously. So we'll see where this goes, but hopefully it's not doom and gloom. And, you know, when you see that report, Ant, and you go, Oh my goodness, it's year one of an eight-year deal. you're yeah. talking about a guy, you know, I heard Keith Yandel on Spit and Chicklets say, bring up Coots, and he said, he's been there 25 years, and he's only 29. (laughs) (laughs) And in some ways, it feels like that because he came in right out of his draft year um, because he just had the body to to jump into the NHL. So hopefully this is good news moving forward for Coots, but it's not good news uh, based on the report from uh, President of Hockey Operations and General Manager Chuck Fletcher regarding Ryan Ellis. There was an injury in that that I didn't even know existed, and Bill Meltzer reminded me. On Flyers Daily that this is something actually in 2016-17 that Sam Moran basically missed an entire season with and again in that area of the core and the hips this does not sound good for Ellis
1: both this season obviously and career-wise yeah and uh, on Daily Faceoff the DFO rundown Frank Sarvalli, who's obviously down in your deck of the woods said that it's affecting Ryan Ellis's everyday life yeah and you know scary. that and that supersedes hockey, right? Because obviously the life is a big part of it because even if guys have to retire, you hope that they can live a normal life. And you see, let's say like a defenseman, like Oscar Clefblom, who uh, Jason Greger and Saravali talked about is like, he retired early so he could have a normal life. And yeah. I think Saravali was saying that like, as far as like Brian Ellis working out, they just look like breathing exercises. Um, and, you know, I remember I reported on this back in April. And my source had told me a hip, a hip flexor, a core muscle, a groin and an abdominal and nobody really knew. And now you get to this muscle that I believe it connects like your spine to your hip. If I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, I can't even pronounce and it goes around from the back to the front. Yeah. So, and apparently like it's deep under other muscles. So like, it's mm-hmm. hard to operate on Fr- Frank Cervelli did a very good job describing it on the DFO rundown and it kind of just tells you and not to sound morbid here, but Brian Ellis is probably never going to play hockey again. Yeah. And if he does, and he, the thing is, is that if, if he does come back, let's say in a year's time, he will have gone almost a full 24 months without playing. Yeah. And how many guys can really come back from that? And it's a shame, right? Because he was a guy that when they acquired him, it almost felt like not to the same magnitude, but it almost felt like kind of like a Chris Pronger acquisition. I thought like hmm, maybe this is a guy that could potentially be your next captain moving forward. For all that he had done, and even in those four games, he was awesome. He was he played a really good four games. But I mean, Tom I think there that seventy eight more games
0: on the schedule. <laughs>
1: Pardon me. Problem is, there's <laughs> 78 more games on the schedule. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it it kind of just comes down to the fact that you know we can't count Ryan Ellis as a part of this team moving forward. And it kind of just confirmed the worst. I mean, I know they were trying to say all the right things, and even Ellis himself was trying to say all the right things at uh, you know closing day, and he had his press release, and he said he think he, he thought he'd be waiting for camp, but. Everybody I spoke to over the summer was just saying, you know, hope, 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 hope. And then sure enough, it doesn't seem like any progress was made. But at this point, like I said before, you just have to hope that he can live a normal life and hockey is secondary. Yeah. And he's
0: a guy, he's played under 600 games in the league. He's played, I think, 566 games in the NHL. He's 31 years of age. Um, But you know this, he's played a style. He's not a big man. He's not. I mean, he's only 5'10", 180 pounds is what he's listed at. Uh, but he played the game as if he was a much larger stature player because he was really – he was tough and, you know, would put himself in compromising positions into tough board battles. And that that's why, you know, he was a leader and what he was willing to do and what he was willing to sacrifice. But now the bill is due for him. The credit yeah. card bill has come due with much interest. And you know the interesting part will be if he is done for his career. And I know they're not ready to make that determination just yet. You don't have to make it yet, but you know next off season will be re- kind of where the rubber meets the road here. What do they do? Does he retire, or does he become for the next four years after this one? He's got five years left, including this one. Does he become an LTIR to run out the run out the string of his contract? If he does that, that puts the you know the team in a position where. You know, they can LTI arm and get that relief at 6 million or whatever his cap hit is, But it does count on their cap over the summer when they can only go 10% over it. If he does retire, it comes off and there's no recapture to the Flyers. It goes all to the Nashville Predators because of when he
1: signed that deal. Yeah. So if he were to retire, it would be best case scenario for the Flyers, right? Because then they're completely yeah, absolved be. from their responsibility. Yep. And even his contract in terms of real salary is kind of structured a bit differently you know he makes 5.3 this year then jumps to 7.5 next 6.5 the year after and then five and a half and four and a half and i think that if he isn't to retire the best case scenario here would be for the flyers would be to kind of find a situation like the montreal canadians did with the uh, with the uh, vegas gold knights this last uh exactly where they take on let's say a bad contract in Dodonov, and then. Vegas just needs that immediate cap relief so bad during the regular season that they would absorb Ryan Ellis. We also saw the, uh, the, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs do that when they reacquired, ironically enough, the David Clarkson contract a few years mm-hmm. back. So, I mean, we, we know that there are teams that will take on these types of contracts. Uh, you know, for draft picks and whatnot. Like, I believe the Chicago Blackhawks made that very known last week that, hey, we're open for business in that regard. We know the Arizona Coyotes are in that uh, in that lane as well. But I don't think the Flyers are in a position where you want to try and pay to get rid of them. Yeah. Ideally here, you're going to try and find a team that has a, an ideal contract, but for a player who's still playing, and then you use it to, you know, swap these contracts here. And, you know, maybe Toronto's that team, you know, like you look around their contract situations, like I'm sure they'll find one that is a bit bloated in their minds or what have you. But uh, obviously retiring is the best option here if in terms of the Flyers. But when you're owed that much money on your contract, like five million dollars, seven and a half, six and a half, five and a half, you know, that's a lot of dough here. It's not like yeah. a back diving deal. Like, even the Weber one, you know, where he's making, what, like, half a million dollars the last few years. Well, if he's not available, how much of that gets picked up by insurance? I, I think it, it's varying, right? Like, I remember the uh, the Nathan Horton contract mm-hmm. wasn't even insured. So, oh. when he couldn't play anymore, Columbus was on the hook for it completely. And Columbus, at that time, and even nowadays, it's not like they're rolling in cash, as you know, relatively speaking to the other NHL teams. So I'm sure it's all structured differently, and that's kind of like a private matter. But I I would doubt that this is a contract that's not insured. You know, the Nashville Predators signed this contract. At the time they signed this contract, they were already on the hook for the Shea Weber mega deal. They had the Roman Yossi contract. They later brought in P.K. Subban. But I'm sure it's at least, like, I don't know how it works down in the States, but, you know, up here in Canada, I would say, like, Salary insurance is typically at least 80%, something yeah, around a, that. Yeah, that's a, what I've come to understand as well here.
0: Um, you know, one of the things that's being talked about in regards to Ryan Ellis is this, and I, I want to make this point and get your thoughts on it. You know, a lot of people are saying that you know they were sold damaged goods, that Nashville knew of the issues and they they sent a player here that was damaged. And while I go, okay, he didn't have any core issues when he was with Nashville. He did finish that year in, in the playoffs as well.
1: It was and his went, hand, wasn't it? The yeah, he had before. a hand
0: and a finger issue. He's had some other issues uh, around his body, but never a core issue. But the notion is that they knew that and they traded him because they knew that this would be an issue and maybe his career would be in jeopardy. But I that gives me a lot of pause if I go to the second level of that thinking. Because if that was the case, Ant, And that became widely known around NHL circles. And David Poyle did that. David Poyle would never have a trade partner again in the NHL for selling damaged goods. And David Poyle is a, you know, every GM's out for themselves. We know that. But David Poyle is a guy that's been in the game a long time. And I don't know that a GM in this day and age is going to sell damaged goods when he knows it. Because there would obviously be some medical records and stuff too to indicate it. That would really prevent him from having trade partners moving forward because there would be an ultimate breach of trust amongst
1: NHL GMs for doing that. Look, like when you say damaged goods, like they were hiding an injury, I don't think so because medical, like you have to pass a medical to be traded, right? Like I remember, we're going back like 15 years. Do you remember when the Flyers traded for Kyle McLaren at the deadline and then the deal got nullified after the fact because he didn't pass he medical. Didn't have- well, the yeah. Flyers are, Bill, Bought this saw Matt Walker when they traded Simone
0: Gagne to Tampa Bay. Couldn't play. Really? Yeah, and they didn't have medicals done before that. And ever since then, the Flyers have required that because
1: you're not going to get burned like that again. So they essentially got nothing. Matt Walker played like four games. Yeah, I remember. Uh, what a bad trade. <laughs> I know it was a cap dump, but in, one of the most infamous <laughs> trades in history. But, you know... When the deal happened, I remember everyone was dumbfounded, you know, analytics, because you traded two borderline fringe NHLers in Patrick and Myers, because let's be honest, in 2021, their worst forward was Nolan Patrick, and arguably their worst defenseman was Phil Myers. And you traded two of these guys for a dominant two-way top pairing defenseman and everyone was just like well what's the catch and now you see the catch it's a guy that like you said wasn't you know enormous you know i think he's my size you said he's what 5'10 180, 10, 180 yeah. exactly like for nhlers that's not a big guy you've played a lot of hard miles a lot of deep playoff runs and i think nashville was at a point where they're just like we just want to move on from the contract and you they're in San a position... And you know, you have Dante Frabro, you have Matias home. like mm-hmm. Nashville's like a defenseman factor, right? They have the Old the thing. the kid from the kid from Quebec, uh, Carrier, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. Like so they were in a position where they're just like, Look, we're not gonna, you know, dick around for lack of better terms and try and hold out for a bigger price. And the Chuck Fletcher is probably in a position where they're he's just like, Look, these guys are of no consequence to me. And in Nolan Patrick and Phil Myers, what have they done since moving on? So they basically had a free shot, a free kick at the can to see if it would work out with Ryan Ellis, and it blew up in their face. And I, I wouldn't say it's damaged goods just because it isn't the same injury. It's not like yeah. you know his hand injury like reoccurred and like he, he lost mobility in it or something. Or,
0: or, or like a Sam Moran where he kept injuring the same knee or degenerative knees or something like that. It's a totally new... Injury, And the thing is, too, Ant, is, look, Nashville had to make a decision. The Flyers, during that season at the trade deadline, were talking to them. Not about Ryan Ellis, but about Matthias Ekholm to acquire him. And Nashville was going to move a D. It was just a question of what D they were going to move. And that shifted at some point from Ekholm to Ellis. And that's where, you know, I think those conversations in that trade really – started that season probably in like January up until the deadline they didn't get anything done and then they got it done in the off season and it pivoted at some point from Eckholm into Ellis
1: and they obviously made the right move right and yeah. for at, at the time if you rewind to 18 19 months ago Ellis made much more sense because they needed a right shot and Echolm yeah. Ekholm- could play the right side but he was a left shot yeah and and the thing is is like i know it's easy for people to be like oh just put them on the right side it's overblown i mean it isn't at the same time like i mean for some people it is but like if you've never played that side before it is a really big issue and like i know the flyers did it here when you had matt carl and breen coburn but breen coburn pretty much played his entire career on the right side yeah You you have a guy like tj brody let's say in toronto who's made his living on the right side but if you've played your entire career on the left side And let's say the Flyers had traded for Matthias Eckholm. If you play on the right side, you're not getting the same Matthias Eckholm. He's not going to play to the same caliber. So Ellis made sense. He made all the sense of the world. He checked all the bosses. He was a better version of Matt Niskanen. And the fact of the matter is is that when healthy, $6.25 million for Ryan Ellis was a steal, an absolute steal. But the problem is, is that you knew he was a guy with a long list of injuries and with the way he played, the miles he's played, the, the size of him, you knew that there was always going to be a chance that the re- injuries would resurface, and it was a worst-case scenario. So, I mean, damaged goods, like, I guess that it's up to interpretation. I would say more that they acquired a risk. They rolled the dice on a guy that you knew had an injury history. But damaged goods, to me, my interpretation of it would be they hid an injury that resurfaced when he got to Philadelphia, and that just wasn't the case. Yeah, they knowingly did
0: it you know, with malice, if you will. And the thing is, is if you're going to make a trade like that with risk, what you give up has to also have the same level of risk. And it did. And Nolan Patrick, who won't play this year for Vegas, who was quickly flipped for Cody glass uh, from Nashville. And it won't be, you know, Phil Myers was waived and he did get a contract now with, with Tampa, but we'll see where that goes. I guess he's going to replace Ryan McDonough. Good luck. Um, Let's get to what else came out yesterday. I was, Got home from my son's game and uh, was sitting on my stream thing here to tape an interview with Carter Hart at one o'clock and one one fifteen went by one thirty went by two o'clock went by and I didn't have him jumping on to talk the interview then I got the email that uh, he has been listed as day to day with an upper body injury also Cam Atkinson and Artemin Nisimov who took that uh, puck off the I think the inside of his leg or ankle in the game on Saturday. What are you hearing on Hart? I know he was in a collision uh, on Saturday, not like a body check, but there was a little bit of a collision around the blue paint and Atkinson as well, who it did come out, didn't participate in the scrimmage, but did come out and do the practice yesterday.
1: Yeah. Kind of just like you all day today. I think at this point, it's more just cautionary, you know, precaution because you're so early in training camp that there's really no reason to push these guys. Right. And especially with Carter Hart, and you give a chance for, you know, Felix Sandstrom, who I think was probably the star of their game on Saturday. And I mean, for a position that was so, you know, criticized, uh, it was nice to see Felix Sandstrom step up to the plate here. But like you look at what happened in the game with Anisimov and Carter Harking injured at practice. I think at this point, it's nothing more than just a precautionary thing. I don't think it's anything serious. I checked around about it. It was more just, you know, take, or take the press release. It's face value type of thing. And at this point, it's nothing to worry about. But I understand that given what has gone on here the last 12 months, Every time anyone is even remotely injured, like at this point, if the guy takes too long in the bathroom, it's just like, what's wrong? What's going on? <laughs> which, I can under- which I can understand. Right. And it's, you know, it's well-deserved at this juncture. All right. But I think- started out day to day. <laughs> I-, I will still remember to this day when AV said, if it were playoffs, he would be playing. Mm. I still remember that to this day. Bullshit. And- <laughs> <I call laughs> Imagine bullshit. how he would have looked in a playoff game, given this Oof. injury. But uh, yeah, I I wouldn't read too, too much into this. I think at this point, because here's the thing is that there are a lot of injuries right now, like throughout the NHL. And I think that the quick turnaround and the amount of hockey that's been condensed into the last 20 months or so is kind of taking a toll on guys. Like you see in Montreal that like training camp gets underway and Joel Edmondson's out indefinitely and Nick Suzuki's day to day. Or you look in Toronto and like Jake Muzzin is experienced back injuries. And he's like another defenseman who's experienced a lot of injuries in recent uh, years. And they have another guy who's out as well. I think it's Timothy Lilgren, the young right shot defenseman. So, I mean, in this case, I wouldn't read too much into it because there are just a lot of guys who, you know, you come back from a short summer... After a season where you played a lot of condensed hockey based on where there's COVID, you know, shutdowns. And then you have to make it up with like 12 games in 16 days or whatever it is. And then not to mention that the prior summer was short too for a lot of these guys. Yeah, When you played, what, 56 games between January and April. And I think that in a lot of these day-to-day type of injuries and a lot of these injuries that we're seeing starting at the beginning of training camp it's just a lot of guys having trouble getting back on the horse so quickly after a tough 20 months or so of hockey yeah and you know some guys you know younger guys in particular
0: while they haven't you know the nhl guys have played a condensed in a lot of games some of the younger guys didn't play a tremendous amount of games because of whether they were in the ohl or you know how things were interrupted at those leagues was different the q or whatever it was um that certainly changed. I mean, remember the conversations about the OHL not allowing body checking? I mean, that's where we were at one point, if you can believe it.
1: Canada was, uh, well, I mean, look, we had a, in Quebec, well, we were the special, we were the cherry on top. Even in Canada, we had a curfew until January. A curfew. Oh goodness. Like, in this past January, it took a, Anyway, I don't want to get into that. I'm just happy yeah, it's that it's done. But yeah, yeah, it was a it was a fucked up time. <laughs>
0: I will tell you this: I was at the game on Saturday night, and the true sign, a couple of true signs that you know we're pretty much back to normal. Obviously, no masks and all that stuff. Locker room open after the game. So press cool. conferences back in the normal places. And here's the big one in the press dining room before the game no longer have to have your food served to you you're allowed it's buffet and you're allowed to get your own food out of the out of the heat out of the big steel things salad bar back open that's That's a sign that things are back to normal that's (laughs) what i like to hear yeah it's actually a good meal on saturday too a little chicken marsala so it was good Um, Really, yeah let's get to the game saturday uh, more of consequence and you know it was interesting because we meet with the the broadcasters tim saunders and i um uh, Jim Jackson and Keith Jones, we meet with the coach of the game before before every game just to get some things to talk about. We get ask some questions, a lot of the stuff we can use on the broadcast. Some of it is just for perspective and we can't use, but blah, blah, blah. So we met with Ian Perrier who's coaching Saturday's game and will coach tomorrow night's game and then Torts' staff will coach games three and four, so Bradshaw, Rocky Thompson, those guys, and then Torts will do the final two. Um, but in talking to Ian LaPerriere, um about A, the systems and you know, there was a lot made of Tortorella saying you don't have to run the same systems so they, as as he runs, where A.V. insisted on it and was one of the reasons why they moved on from Gordon to Ian LaPerriere. What, they, they both believe kind of the same thing, belief system, Torts and, and Lappy anyway. But, um, you know, one of the things that, that was interesting, talking about some of the players that came into camp in the condition, he said everybody came in in great shape. They all heeded the warning from Torts that came, you know, as the shots over the summer. Uh, But a couple guys he mentioned in particular, Noah Cates, Jackson Cates and Wade Allison just came in in absolutely phenomenal shape. And I thought those three players shown well in that game, in particular, the Cates brothers who accounted for all the goals.
1: Yeah, Noah Cates, I think, and we talked about this, right, that Noah Cates was a guy that we were speculating would be a, a coaching favorite. And given the fact that, you know, they're not particularly uh, deep on that left wing, right? Especially with Joel Farabee out. You have Scott Lawton, JVR, and then who? It's wide open. And I think Noah Cates is going to become a guy that you're probably going to see on a quasi first line in a lot of ways. Or, given the injury to Sean Couture, what happens, maybe his brother makes the team at this juncture. Yeah, so like, I mean... If Katori can't go, and obviously we were talking about like Anisimov, will he make the team? And that depends a lot on Lazinski. I mean, I think that it's a cool inside track for a guy like Jackson Cates. Now, do I think that at the end of the day, he has a future in the NHL? Probably not. Maybe as like a fringe fourth liner, but maybe having his brother there has put an extra pep in his step. And as far as Wade Allison goes, mm-hmm. I mean, we were talking about it that as much as we love Wade Allison and every time he is healthy, he is already a bona fide NHLer and he's the type of player that they need on this team. He has to stay healthy. So the fact that he came in into really good shape and I'd heard the same thing on the first day of rookie camp that all of the rookies came in or all the young guys rather had come in in really, really good shape and they had answered the call. And I think that that's a very good sign early on because a lot of these guys, they know they're not stupid. They saw what happened this summer. There are a lot of spots open. Like Chuck Fletcher said last week, they could have as many 10 guys on the roster under the age of 25. So if you're not showing up in the best shape possible, then what the hell are you doing, right? Like yeah, this You're is a fucking a- idiot because you got opportunity. Exactly. And, you know, like look at it last year, like as early as last year, there were like, how many spots open when they brought in guys like Patrick Brown and Nate Thompson and Derek Broussard, like because they were theoretically trying to be a contending team. But this year there is that youth movement and like guys like Brown, guys like Zach McEwen, like they could very easily end up as 13th and 14th forwards. And that's okay. That's perfectly fine. If they're your spare forwards, that's okay because you don't want young players sitting in the press box. Yeah. You want good veteran soldiers, like the same way that Nick Seeler is going to be your number seven defenseman. Or if you need an extra body, it's probably going to be Kevin Connaughton just to ride around in the press box. But in terms of the kids to actually crack the NHL roster on a night in, night out basis, it's it's there for the taking. You're going to have a lot of internal competition. Like I think Lazinski and Jackson Cates are going to be directly competing against one another. Great. Allison is probably going to be competing directly against uh, an Owen Tippett. I think Kate's kind of, uh, Noah Cates rather has the inside track because he's he an NHL work. player now. Ant. Yeah, well, we we talked about it. Like, yeah, nine points,
0: fifteen were, games. It's a small sample size, but he looks—you can tell by the way he handles himself on the ice.
1: And we talked about like if it weren't for Noah Cates, do is Oscar Lindblom still here? Maybe. Yeah, probably. Like, he he checked the box that you kind of wanted from Oscar Lindblom. So. I mean, th- these, this is the cool narrative about going into this season, that there's a lot of guys who are hungry. And I think that over the last number of years, there wasn't enough of that hunger on this team.
0: And competition. Competition is a great thing in camp and a great thing to, to get guys to go to the next level. And one of the guys we've talked about now for a couple of years is Morgan Frost. You know, Last year under Mike Yo, after A.V. was let go, there was a lot of hard lessons and Morgan cited it that, you know, p- doing those things in the neutral and D zone uh, were a requirement. And he's a guy I think that went into this off season, you know, the way he finished last year, even though the team result wasn't good, I think he felt good about where he finished and felt like he fit in the NHL. And he put on even more muscle. You could, it's pretty pronounced when I saw him in the locker room after the game, you know, just he's bigger and stronger. And then we saw it in the PK. I mean, he's killing penalties. He killed three and a half minutes of penalties in that first period, and and he put himself. You know, we've talked about this about wingers or D-men crashing down on him on the half wall. I, I saw him initiating and taking contact and making plays. Still in that game, to me, he wasn't perfect in the game, but he flashed really well. And I thought we saw an assertiveness out of him that was a very positive sign and he's a 200 IQ player right he's got to play with like that pass he makes to to Noah Kate's on the power play after the Forster block shot that's just that you know he's got to play with skilled players and guys that can bury the puck I thought he looked good in the game too he really showed me something
1: yeah, and you know, he's a very, he's been a very polarizing player. And I've thought that over the last number of years, he's been very underwhelming in a lot of ways, even when he was given the opportunity. I mean, when A.V. used to stick him on the left wing with like Giroux and Atkinson or Giroux and Agnes, yeah, it would work, but you still wanted more, right? You wanted a guy based on where they draft him, how they draft him, what he did in the OHL. You want a guy who could be kind of like his own play driving centerman. And that's what the Flyers need, right? And he possesses a skill set that the Flyers do lead. Need, like that raw <laughs> skill, that yeah. high end skill, the guy who can make plays down low, the big, a lot of hockey IQ. But I think for him, it was a finding out what kind of player he was at the NHL level and be rounding out his game. Like, even the, the first time I saw him at the NHL, I believe he made his NHL debut in November of 2019, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. against right. the Panthers. Was that it? Scored a goal. Yeah, exactly. And I, you saw it right away. If he got the puck below the hash marks in the offensive zone, he was already an NHL player because of the hockey IQ, because of the skill. But everywhere else, it was a bit of an adventure for him. And look, he's a guy that I don't think has more to gain, but simultaneously has more to lose this season. Because like you said, there hasn't been a lot of internal competition amongst young players the last number of years. Like As soon as Nolan Patrick fell flat on his face the door has been wide open for Morgan Frost. And now the door is even more wide open for Morgan Frost, depending on how long Sean Couture is out. Like he could very well start the year as the 2C, very well start the year on the first power play. But if you stumble out of the gate and you have trouble establishing yourself this season, you know, what happens when Tyson Forster makes his way into the NHL? He's not a, he's not a centerman, but he's a guy that will take those offensive miss, especially on the power play what happens when Elliot Denway makes his way into the NHL? He's a centerman, probably doesn't have the same ceiling as Frost, more of a 3C, but still a guy that could push and take that spot down the middle. And then all of a sudden, what if next year Cutter Goatsy takes a massive next step? Yeah. So we've talked about shitter, get off the pod. And for guys like Allison and lazinski that's true in a lot of ways, more so in just staying healthy. But for Morgan Frost, it's just like, look, man, this is it. This is your final chance. And the door has never been more wide open for you to take it. But at the same time, your runway is quickly running out.
0: Tyson Forster ended up with five shots on goal in that game. We know he's a tricker man. He is, it. hey, I'll shoot first and ask questions later. They've needed one of those guys for so long. You know, it's always like, no, here, you shoot. No, you shoot. We're on a three on oh. No, you shoot. And then Since no Carter. shot since carter (laughs) yeah and yeah exactly since a trigger man like carter or maybe even shen to some extent yeah Uh, but you look at tyson and i think the world juniors at the time it was to knock off some of the rust of playing very little last year and some high you know intensity hockey playing in the wjc coupled with the fact that i think he's just feeling more confident uh has him you know playing at, at a level that this camp where he's got the expectation of what it's like to play in this camp now as well. I thought he looked pretty good and I I think he's going to start the year with the phantoms, but to me, he may be pending how injuries go or play. He may be the first wing call up.
1: Yeah, I I would assume so. Like I I was told around the, the world juniors while I was going on that they were expecting him to spend the majority of the year in Lehigh Valley, but Obviously, that has changed. I think they were saying that more so because he barely played last year and was coming back from a shoulder injury. But like you said, the World Juniors really fell at a good time for the players. Not so much for the spectators in the middle of the summer in Alberta, but for the players, it was really good. And he played on a line, if I'm not mistaken, with Kent Johnson, who was one of the best players for Canada, probably outside of Connor Bedard. And um, his name's escaping me now, the kid from uh, Mason McTavish. Yeah, and Ken Johnson had a hell of a tournament, and you know, on a side note, he's an under the radar guy to win the Calder this year in St. Louis, uh, or is it Columbus? I forget Columbus. it's one of those Columbus. Yeah, Columbus. So I mean, I I think that Forster. One thing that maybe is working against him is that he is a right wing, and you know, you yeah. have Connectney, you have Atkinson, you have Tippett, you have uh, Wade Allison. But I mean, he's another guy that you know Wade Allison is probably feeling the heat of uh, Tyson Forster yeah. because. Allison is more of like a rough and tumble guy, but he's kind of a trigger man too on the power plays. You know what? Oh yeah. He's got he's got a release. Absolutely. He's a guy that
0: can be on that, you know, just below the top of the circle and, and snap it. I mean, he can he can snap it. But yeah, yeah he's gotta be on the ice. That's the big, and the big thing for, for Wade so far. And I like the fact that he jumped in. Look, you know, Antoine Roussel takes a just a fucking monster hit, right? Inside the blue line. They've known this guy for 36 hours, but it's hockey. doesn't matter. You're wearing my jersey. I'm going to protect you. Uh, Deep down inside, I think probably everybody in the management team was going, hey, Sealer, please get there before Allison to take on this guy. (laughs) Uh, But Wade can chuck him. I remember a couple of years ago when he first came into the AHL after his college season, he got in a scrap and he fucking just,
1: just fucking beat the brakes off of somebody. He can chuck him a little bit. Well, he's a guy that you kind of they've lacked since like the peak days of Scott Hartnell. And yeah. I think that Wade is probably like has a higher skill set than Scott Hartnell. But Hartnell still scored, what, 37 goals in 2012? He scored. And Jager and yeah, Joe. with Yager. He scored 30 goals in 08, 09 when he was playing with Carter and Lupel. And the thing about Hartnell that's interesting is that he was able to go to both wings. I remember mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he was playing right wing when it was him with Briere and Prospel. So I mean, if Allison could learn how to play the left wing, I don't know if he's ever done that. I don't know how. You easy. mean Briere and Leno? Uh, well, it was Briere and Leno, but remember in oh seven oh eight he was playing cross. Oh with yeah, Crossful. Vinny.
0: Yeah, Jesus. Wow. You're
1: going yeah. Back on me. Well, because Briere and Leno, I'm pretty sure it was Leno on the right wing, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Uh, yeah, that's when he played the left side. Yeah, because he played the left side because the original line was Hartnell, Carter, and Briere on the right. And Carter broke his foot. Briere went to the middle, and Lena went on the right. Exactly. So, but I'm pretty sure Hartnell played on the right when it was Prosper and Briere. And um, it was, uh, where was it going with this? Oh, yeah. So Allison, if you want to compare him to that, like if Allison can make the full time shift to the left side, then you're cooking with something because then now he's not blocked in by anyone. Because I, I don't think anyone is bumping, at least like in the immediate future, I don't think anyone's bumping Connect me, or Atkinson out of the right wing spots. Agreed. But if you could kind of move Allison over to that side, and then you could have, you know, moving forwards like him and Lawton and Cates and Farabee, now you're starting to get options here. Yeah. That I mean that that changes a big, big dynamic.
0: Big time. So- Speaking of Danny, I saw Danny on um, on Saturday night. God, it's so annoying. He looks exactly the same as he did like his <laughs> second year in the league in Arizona. And on my Facebook memories popped up this, and I put it out on Twitter. So I'll, I'll share it here on the screen for people to see. Oh, wait, I got to do it a different way. God damn it, this thing. Um, it, you see and Danny, it's just like, oh, my goodness. The guy just still looks great. And you go, what, like, what is going on here? I got to hit. Screen share. That's what I got to do. All right, let's go. To this. And here it is. Here's the picture of me and Danny. 13 years ago, Saturday. Let me get rid of yeah, it. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> and and I said, for old time's sake, this popped up on my Facebook memories. 13 years ago today, a younger me with a younger Danny Briere. One of us still looks the same. <laughs> I mean, he still looks exactly like that.
1: <laughs> that doesn't yeah. even look like you, man. You kind of look like Pierre Maguire in that picture. Oh, shit. Stop <laughs> Uh, So I sent it to Danny and he's just like, oh my
0: God, can you believe that? uh, But it was good to see him on Saturday as well. and good to see everybody at the rink. Um, Let's talk about the goalies because you mentioned it earlier, Felix Sandstrom. I talked to Felix yesterday. He's going to be on tomorrow's Flyers Daily. And 17 shots on 17 saves. You know, And talking to him yesterday, he said that, you know, it didn't feel perfect. You know, he didn't feel like he caught his rhythm or anything, but he battled. And I thought he was really good on you know, sharp angle plays on the post, especially on all those PKs in the first period. Uh, but he looked real sharp. He played five games in the NHL coming into this season, signed that two-year contract. He was going back to Sweden at one point this summer and then signed the two-year deal with the Flyers. And he, I think he's, you know, really battling to grab this opportunity to the backup spot. I thought he looked sharp in the game.
1: Yeah, you know, like this summer, that was, a you know, obviously a position that everyone was very upset with, especially once the Fedoff news came down. But... I don't know. I liked what I saw from Felix Sandstrom last year, and it was a small sample size, but you know he had a positive uh, goal saved above expected. You know, I think he had a nine ten save percentage last year in his five 906. games, nine oh six. And I, I really just think that he has all the tools. And this is a guy again, you know, shit or get off the pot. Like we talked about it. Like, what else did he have to prove in the in the AHL? He was drafted in what twenty fifteen. He's older than Carter Hart. And I think that this is a guy that now he sees it, the opportunity there for the taking where he doesn't have to ride the bus anymore. He doesn't have to make, you know, that chump change anymore, relatively speaking, of course. And he has a chance here to really solidify himself in the NHL. And you even look at a guy like Grosnick who they signed, who I know obviously no one had really heard of, but he was a guy who was probably, didn't he win the Vesna last year, the AHL like equivalent? Yeah, the NHL goalie of the year. And and I think that having a guy like Sandstrom as the backup as opposed to a Brian Elliott or Martin Jones is that like, it's not like a clear cut thing that no matter how bad or how injured he is, Carter Hart's the starting goaltender. Like, look, Hart's the starting goaltender. I would yeah. say 95% chance, but it leaves that door open that, you know, Sandstrom, you know, I think that if the opportunity is there. Maybe he wants to take that job. Maybe he doesn't want to make 750 k when his contract is up in 2024. As opposed to Martin Jones or Brian Elliott, they knew that they weren't going to be a starter for the rest of their NHL career. And yeah. they were just here to, you know, be the good D, maybe the good soldier and all that mumbo jumbo. And make a good coin on the on the end of it, in back nine. That's it. And I think there's something to be said. And look, I've always been a proponent of the the standard, you know, like veteran backup guy. Mm-hmm. But – when you have an opportunity of two young guys pushing each other, kind of like what we saw in New York the last several years, obviously not to the same magnitude, but I mean, it could ultimately work out. And look, if Sandstrom has a good season and maybe next year that you get some more clarity on Ivan Fedotov or Samuel Urson, you know, has a really good breakthrough year, then you're in a position like the Rangers where you could trade your backup goalie for a good return in, in Georgiev. So I mean I, I like this situation. I've liked this situation for a while. You know, maybe it'll blow up in their face down the road. But so far, so good for Felix Sandstrom.
0: Again, again, the season's about finding out what you have with so many of these young guys. And you know, the Fedotov situation obviously was well beyond anyone's control. Despite what a, what one podcast host said that the the Flyers fucking butchered it. I won't bring his name up because i I give him enough shrapnel on here you know i get i give russ joy a ton of shrapnel (laughs) i'd like for him to explain to me how the flyers butchered that situation but anyway i digress um (laughs) if you don't know by now i don't give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: i couldn't tell you
0: i turned 50 and this is a philosophy i live by and i wish i would have picked up this philosophy in my life at 33 as opposed to waiting till i was damn near 50 and now i certainly have it I no longer ask for what I want. I just say what they're going to do. Like when you get on, when I get on an elevator at the Wells Fargo center, I say it's an express all the way down to the event floor. I don't say, can you take an express all the way? No, it is an express all the way down to the floor.
1: <laughs> like that's I just a veteran. Say- I tell you what it is,
0: not what I'm asking for.
1: (laughs) Well, Charlie O'Connor kind of tweeted this out. I think it was last week, you know, just as things were really starting to get going with training camp. And he said something along the lines, and I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, but that like the toughest part about this season is that even though we know the Flyers aren't going to be a good team, It's going to be hard giving them any form of a compliment because everyone is just going to be so pissed off about everything under the sun. And I'm all for criticizing the team. I've been, you know, calling for the stabilization, retool, reset, whatever you want to call it, since the 2020 bubble. Like, I haven't thought that this team had a legitimate crack at anything sustainable for a long time, for two years now. Last year, I thought maybe in the the summer moves gave me some positivity, but clear that one off the rails. But now that, like, you're going down this road and you're doing a youth movement that so many people wanted for so many years, you know, when they were so pissed that Thompson was playing, that McEwen was playing, that Broussard was playing, that Grant was playing, now that they're doing this, you can't be mad that they're doing something that you've done. Like, we've talked about the messaging, the, the lack of direction at times, all that, all that is granted. But at the same time, you can't just get mad just for the sake of getting mad at everything. Yeah. Like it has to be rational at the same time.
0: Yeah. And like and, and I'm just I'm trying to find I think we're a lot of us are trying to find how we handle this season day in, day, in, day out, game in, game out, sometimes period in, period out, shift in, shift out. You know, because people are angry. And like it's not my job to tell people whether they should be or should not be angry or how they handle it on a day to day basis. And you know, I posted some some stuff and pictures and stuff, and you know, you get some responses of garbage. I'm totally disinterested, and other people saying, "Hey, it's always better when hockey's back." And I'd, po- I'd post I post the picture of the ice every year for 16 years uh, on the first preseason game on my Facebook, and I don't use my Facebook as one of those. It's a personal Facebook page, and for some reason, at one time, I just connect anybody that asked me to connect with them. I did. I regret that now. I should have done it through a fan page. But there was this <laughs> guy. His name Mike Graff. and he said. You know, the, we're, he went back and forth with me a little bit. I usually don't debate on Facebook, especially uh, about they haven't won shit. Basically, in, in he said sixteen years, the one guy, and I said, well, they haven't. Um, I guess two thousand ten was more than sixteen years ago, but and a guy said the real number you should worry about is forty seven years, and that's the last time they won a the cup. And I said, yeah, they haven't won the cup at, since seventy five, um, and on more than a few occasions, they've overlooked a key piece goaltending. That prevented that from happening. There were some cases where injuries played a big part, obviously Tim Kerr in eighty five and or eighty seven and all that stuff. But um they've also had some bad luck in who they faced in the Stanley Cup finals. I have not find found a comparable to this in pro sport, where every time they've gotten to the cup since they've won it, they have faced a dynasty. So they go back to the cup in seventy six, they get Montreal. Montreal. they lose to Montreal. Start of a dynasty. Games. Montreal, yeah, four years. They won four straight cups beginning in 76. 1980, they go and they lose to the Islanders in six games. Leon Stickle, the whole thing. Islanders, four straight cups. At 85, they lost to the Oilers in five games. In 87, they lost to the Oilers in seven games. Oilers won in 84, 85, 87, 88, and 90. Dynasty, maybe the best team ever. 97, they lose to Detroit in four games. They get swept. The core of Eisenman Federoff won in 97, 98, 2 and then another one all the way in 8 In 10, they lose to the Blackhawks, their first of three, 2010, 2013, 2015. Six cup finals appearances, since the back-to-back cup titles. Uh, the teams they lost to in the finals want to combine 20 cups with five different finals opponents. Uh, you know, sometimes it's not that you get there, it's who you play when you get there, and it's hard to win. But So this guy comes back to me and says, Mike, and he says, well, they – and I brought 2010 and he said, well, they luckily got in on the last day of season because of a luck overtime win fans who reflect back on that as an accomplishment or the problem and enable this organization to be mediocre. I'm sure you or someone else will come back at some excuse that it's not realistic. Well, in 2010, first of all, they got in on a shootout, not overtime, but in 2010, they underachieved under John Stevens to start that year. Yeah, big time. He gets fired in December Lavi comes in. It takes him four to six weeks to really get the thing moving in the right direction. And the reason why they get in on the last game is because they had so much runway to make up. But if you don't think that team was a very good team, let me give you some of the players on that team. Just off the top of my head, Pronger, Richards, Carter, a young Drew, Kimo team in Gagne, Hartnell, Billy Lano was kind of a flash, but, and other players, but, that team was really good the pronger injury derailed that from happening and then obviously the trade of richards and carter
1: that one summer well it's also like i watch the tsn preview season preview every year they always give like each analyst gives like their their uh, stanley cup final and every single analyst that year had it chicago versus philadelphia Mm -hmm. james duffy Bob mckenzie all these guys one of them actually predicted the flyers to win I think it may have been Glenn Healy. I'm not mistaken. It may have been Glenn Healy who was working for Hockey Night up until a few years ago. But everyone had them against each uh, against one another, the Blackhawks and the Flyers. But another thing that people forget is that the starting goaltender that year was Ray Emery. Yeah, Ray Emery and and Brad Boucher. Yeah, and when Ray Emery was healthy that year, and then he had that weird hip injury that I don't even know what it was. Yeah, Yeah, and. Display. And I rem- and I remember that because that was the year the 2010 Olympics, and there was talk that he was going to be the third goalie for Team Canada instead of Marc Andre Fleury. Like he was having a really really good season. That was yeah. his first year back in the NHL since being over in Russia after yeah. he kind of got like an unserious uh, you know an unserious exit from Ottawa, and that was a very very good team. And that was a team that for the two prior years had one of the best offenses in the NHL, but were missing, you know, an extra force on defense. They go out and arguably get the best guy available in Chris Pronger. So like it is kind of. Colburn too on that blue line and Matt Carl. Yeah. Guys like Betts and. Powell, LaParis, Carcillo. Yeah. I mean, they just slotted correctly. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you had uh, JVR who was in his rookie year. Giroux Mm -hmm. was in his sophomore year. You know, it was uh, and that was a a tough year for a lot of the guys like behind the scenes, as you know, the two Mm -hmm. guys, I'm sure everyone knows by this point. So, like, I think that like that was a much better team than their regular season record showed. And if Ray Emery was healthy all season, I think it would have been different because even Michael Layton got hurt in March Mm -hmm. and they were rolling with Johan Backlund and Brian Boucher. Yeah. And then I think they even signed uh, Matthew Garron to finish out the the season. But that but he couldn't play in the playoffs because Backlink got injured. Like, it was a disaster in the net. Yeah. And you could lie that the defeat at home room too. Like, maybe at that deadline you could have gotten some more insurance between the pipes. But, I mean, there was a lot of up and downs that year in terms of injuries and, like you said, the coaching change and all that. But if you don't think that that team belonged in, in the playoffs or even more so at the end of the playoffs in the cup final, like, I don't know what to tell you. That's revenge yeah, I mean, in his history. I mean, Bush played well in the playoffs until he got hurt and Layton yep. played well. I
0: mean, the finals were what they were. They were a bit of a up and down,
1: kind Adventure. of wide open.
0: Yeah, and the goaltending wasn't great there. But look at that Montreal series in five. Three oh, shutouts for Layton in that series. He was unbelievable. Yeah. So, steamrolled them. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that was a good team, no doubt about it. But like how to handle this year is I gotta figure out how I'm gonna how I'm gonna handle it. Because there's gonna be people that are just gonna want that that choose misery and you know hang on to it and I'm just not one of those guys you know so I got to figure out how we all got to figure out how as hockey fans or flyer fans how to how to manage our emotions this season along with expectations and everything else
1: well I I think it's more just because you know like there's a reason to be completely disconnected and I get it because the la the three of the last four years have been tire fires But when you look at a lot of the players who could make this team out of the get-go, like make the opening night roster, Felix Sandstrom, Tony D'Angelo, Cam York, Wade Allison, Noah Cates, Owen Tippett, even Morgan Frost to an extent. If Jackson Cates makes it, like a lot of these guys haven't been part, Nick Delorier, a lot of these guys haven't been part of the past miseries. They have like here and there, but They're not like, connected to it. You're right. Exactly. Like, you know, like Giroud is gone. Voracek is gone. Gossesbier is gone. Like, there's all these guys that we experienced, you know, living so poorly through are now past. Like, okay, yeah, there are some holdovers like Scott Lawton and Konechny and Pro Robin Sandheim. But I mean, you know, almost half this team are brand new players who have nothing to do with like the past miseries. So there's a part of me that's saying like, okay, are there some players I wish weren't here? Yeah, of course. Are there some players that I think that maybe the Flyers are overvaluing a bit? Yeah, I think so. But at the same time, there's a lot of players here that have had nothing to do with the last four years. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of players here that want, don't even care about what happened the last four years.
0: I think there's some good young players too in the system. There's not the high end superstar in the system. There's no doubt about that. There's not, you know, the the superstar player in their system right now that we know of. But there are guys like Forcer, like Zamula, like Ronnie Adderd. They've got some guys that are coming that are young that are NHL players. But again, they need the high end talent. Yeah. yeah. And you usually obtain that through the draft and maybe that's what this year proves to be.
1: You know, whether well,
0: they draft one or three or Bedard or whatever in this draft. But um but I understand people's outlook of doom and gloom because It's been ever since, you know, that game seven loss against the Islanders. It's been like, like trying to get your hands on a greasy watermelon and hold it, you know, it's impossible.
1: Well, you know, like obviously everyone hates Chuck Fletcher right now. And I get that. And, you know, even if you go to, let's say like Minnesota wild message boards or whatever, a lot of people have negative things to say about Chuck Fletcher. But if you look at that team now, the pillars of that team are Chuck Fletcher guys. Kaprizov, Joel Eriksson Ek, all the defensemen—they're all guys that Brent Flair and uh, Chuck Fletcher assembled. Their nice fingerprints on Dumba, right? Yeah, all the Dumba, um, Brodin—like those are all yeah. Chuck Fletcher and Brent Flair guys. Jordan Greenway, I believe, as well. Like obviously, they've had their own talent, like Marco Rossi, a guy who I think would be a really good NHL player. So not to say that Bill Guerin's done nothing, but a lot of the pillars of that team you know, primarily Joel Eriksson-Eck and Kirill Kaprizov are from the past regime with Fletcher and Flair. So what I've kind of said is that, like, if you... If, let's say, Chuck Fletcher isn't here anymore in two years from now, hypothetically speaking, but you have the same type of scenario that Minnesota was left over with, like, okay, you had some underwhelming seasons. They were always a playoff team, but they never made it past the second round in a lot of the years where people thought they would. So let's say the Flyers have some very underwhelming years under Fletcher, but then they're left with a lot of those pillars. Like maybe Cutter Goetia becomes a top line center. Wishful thinking maybe at this point, but maybe it happens. Maybe Tyson Forster becomes a top line 30 goal scorer. At this point, I think he's more projected to be a second line, but who knows? Maybe they draft someone who's very high end in the, the upcoming NHL draft. Maybe that will all be worth it because... For as many NHL players as they have in their system, it will all be for naught. It won't be mean fuck all if they don't have you know a couple of top line players in there, right, Jay? Yeah, no doubt. You have to have that. And do you think Go- do you think that they believe that Goate could be that guy, or even her to Forster to a lesser extent?
0: To an extent, but not that guy that just scares the shit out of people, you know. There's players in this league, whether it's Kucherov, whether it's, I mean, obviously McDavid and Matthews and Dry Seidel. Caprice off is one of the Panarins and one of those guys. You know, there's guys that when they jump over the boards, the other team is like, holy shit. Uh oh. You know, uh oh players is what we'll call them. They don't have that guy. You know, even Drew the last couple of years was not an uh oh player. Good player, high IQ player, could make, generate, and drive offense, all of that. Um, and as good as Couturier was, even in the Selkie year, not an uh-oh player. One so of those guys just goes, Braden Point, right? Those guys are just, you're like, oh, McKinnon. You know, those are, uh, they don't have that. So, yeah, and I think you need that. You need a guy that you can throw over the boards that when everything is going horribly for you, can just go over and just make a, a fucking play that you go, holy shit, and turn a game in on one's ear. And you need that guy to have success. Very few teams, you know, without that kind of player, win. I mean, I can only think of one in the last fifteen years, and that's the St. Louis Blues. As good as O'Reilly was for that team, or Tarasenko, and but even know, at least Tarasenko kind of had that element to his game. Yeah, to an extent, he was you know sniper and just was such a good scorer and good release and everything. And I mean, on that blue line, you had Petrangelo. I mean, Pareko, you had. And you got great goaltending, but that wasn't a team that had an Ovi or had an, a Crosby or had a McKinnon like this year or the Kucherov Stamkos Hedman, you know those kind of players. They don't have that. They need that.
1: What and, about Boston 2011? I mean, you're looking at Bergeron,
0: Marsh, and um, no posternock at that time. Yeah, Horton I mean, was a beast. Horton yeah. was good. I mean, they were more like a well balanced team and got great goaltending, obviously, and they had a big Z back there.
1: Yeah. Heavy, um, heavy team.
0: Yeah, and from, based on what happened to them the year before, that was like the shock paddles of we can't fuck around at all, and they came back the next year and won the Cup in that crazy seven-game series with Vancouver. But, yeah, I mean, you're just not going to have overall success, I don't think, unless you have that really high end. And maybe it's, it's more than one. Like, look at Edmonton. I mean, they've got two of the best, in my opinion, best four players on the planet.
1: Yeah. not. they've gotten a the
0: one conference final so far.
1: Yeah. Well, because them, it's like it took them so long to get their defense on track. Now they finally think that they think that they've solved their goaltending issues. I'm not completely sold on Jack Campbell, but he definitely well, is an upgrade. I'm not. You know, yeah, I don't know. But on the flip side... What the hell is Toronto doing with Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov? <laughs> I mean, if you
0: if you're Kyle Dubas and you've had you haven't won a round of the playoffs with this wagon of a team, and that's been the issue, and then you go into this offseason and that's your answer. It's like you're almost inviting, you know, a firing.
1: <laughs> you yes. know? Well, says, go, go ahead. No, well, he's a lame duck GM, right? Heading he into isn't the season. last year. Yeah. yeah.
0: They're not going to extend them. Uh, Brian <laughs> Daly says, uh, the Blues that year caught lightning in a bottle after bringing in Baruby. They just got hot at the right time. Well, they did. I mean, they rallied with Bennington coming in. First start was here in Philadelphia, as a matter of fact. The Gloria thing that happened at the South Philly Bar. And um, they did. They just were a team that bought into a belief and it was just they were a good team. Yep, they very good team. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap it up, and um, great stuff. We'll continue to monitor camp and uh Appreciate the time. As always, great stuff. Next week, we go to three days a week. And uh, you'll be joining us, I believe, on Wednesdays?
1: Uh, Wednesdays Mondays. or Mondays. I guess we'll yeah. float between those two days. Love it. Uh, enjoy it, brother. Good luck with the new apartment. hope that all's well. A new house. New, new house. <laughs>
0: house. Oh, you're out of the apartment. <laughs> oh, you're growing up so fast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, brother. There he is, Anthony DeMarco from the TFP dot tfp.com. And uh, follow him on Twitter at ademarco25. Great stuff from Ant, as always. So much to discuss. I mean, we could go on and on and on and on, and that's what we do. And when there's a lot to discuss, we discuss it. And there's a lot of talking points right now as camp is underway. So um, just this camp is going to be interesting. They're going to start to send players out. 71 players, they've been kind of corralling at this point. That's a lot to manage for sure. All right, let me tell you about Bet Parks. They're the uh, title sponsor of this fine podcast here, episode 66 of Bet Parks Presents, stick to Hockey Live. It is a great casino and sports book. It's not a great one, it's the best one. Uh, take it from me. You're gonna love the Bet Parks app. It is fantastic. It's easy to use, easy to navigate, easy to open account, easy deposit methods, fast payouts, the whole thing. You can bet same game parlays, live in-game betting, player performances, traditional spreads, props, you name it. It is all their futures on every sport. NFL's underway, get in on that action. College football underway, get in on that action. Baseball winding down and into the playoffs, get in on that action. Hockey, preseason and regular season around the corner. Hoops not far behind, college and pro, plus the other ancillary things that you want to get in, soccer, Formula One, tennis, golf. It's all available on the Bet Parks app for you. So check it out. It is simply fantastic. And right now, all Bet Parks users can use that promo code Jason750. That'll get your risk-free bet up to $750. Again, new and existing users, Jason750. And uh, terms and conditions do apply. So make sure you download the Bet Parks app today. Start navigating it. Start checking it out and uh, get your action in. It makes games that you don't have an emotional invested interest in a lot more interesting. So you can bet as little or as you know much as you want. You don't have to go crazy. Just put a little bit in here, some parlays and have some fun with it. Uh, now's a great time to check it out. So you do need to be over 21, president in Pennsylvania or New Jersey gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER and also got to tell you about our other sponsor Conkerville Subaru they are fantastic I've been with Conkerville for a very long time I bought my first car there in 89 and I have bought many cars from Conquerville yeah why well trust because it's somebody that has gotten job done for me every single time I bought my little Sentra there back in 89 drove that thing into the ground Bought an Altima, had a couple Altimas. I've had a Pathfinder. I've had, I've had them all. Uh, but you got to check it out. Simple, trust. Conquerville cares. It's not just a saying; it's a fact. Uh, the work they've done, they continue to do in the community, is unparalleled. First Subaru Nation Love Promise Dealer of the Year back in 2015. Uh, eight years supporting Nemours Children's Hospital of Delaware. Fifteen classrooms that they've adopted in the Marcus Oak Elementary School this year. Again, giving the teachers five hundred dollars of classroom supplies each to do it you know, buy the supplies they wouldn't want need. Plus how about the donation of thousands of coats to La Comunidad, Hispania and Kennet square. They've done that for 10 years and they still continue to do it. So the Conquerville cares saying it's not just a saying, it's not a slug line. It's a belief and it's what they do. Uh, now's a great time to visit the beautiful showroom on route 202 in Glen Mills. You can check out all the certified pre-owned inventory they've got. Plus pick up uh, pick from a list of incoming Subaru models and vehicles and it's Conquerville Subaru. It's more than just a dealership. They also have a great service department. You get a free car wash with every appointment. So make sure you check out ConquervilleSubaru.com online and check out the showroom on Route two hundred two in Glen Mills. It's a beautiful showroom. And remember, Conquerville cares. All right, that wraps up this edition of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Who knows? We we'll could have another one this week, and uh, we'll go to three days a week beginning as the NHL the season movie. heats up and yeah, I'll the, post-shirt, the, post-shirt. the post-shirt. But in the meantime, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. It's a nice five-star rating.